and good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And um, I want to let you know that my name is Warren Landis and I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And we want to say hello to all of our listeners on Spotify and some of the other platforms that we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. Uh, We're in the book of Romans. Uh, We've been there for a while now. And uh, we're going to be there for a while longer. Uh, Romans, as you know, has a total of 16 chapters. And today we're going to be commentating on uh, Romans chapters 10 and 11. But after today, we will still have chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, five more chapters to go. And so I see us... uh, still being in the book of Romans for a while, and there is such a great amount of rich material here. Uh, Like I say, Romans is one of those books that is designed for those desiring a deeper walk with God, and they want to dive more deeply into a personal relationship with God. And uh, I want to tell you, too, about a book I read when I was a teenager. I remember one year, as a teenager, I went to summer camp, and our youth group spent about a week studying a book called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. It was a book written by Fritz Reidenauer, and um, he did a commentary on the book of Romans, but it was especially designed, I think, for young people to read, And it pointed out the difference between Christianity and any of the other religions of the world. You know, any of the other religions in the world could certainly offer you religion, but they can't offer you what Christianity offers you. Christianity offers you a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what makes Christianity different from any other religion in the world, because What we have as Christians is not a religion, it is a relationship. It is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's two very important questions that Fritz Reidenhauer answers in his book. It's called, Who Can Know the Mind of God? That's one question that he deals with. Who can know the mind of God? In other words, um, we can't always comprehend how God is thinking. And then the other question he raises is, are Christians fully pardoned? Or are we simply out on parole? Are we fully pardoned? Or are we simply out on parole? Hmm. Well, that's a very interesting question. Because, you know, as a church, as a body of Christ, sometimes... We treat some Christians like they're fully pardoned, and we treat other Christians like they're out on parole. You know, for example, let's say you have recently gone through a divorce, for example. There are some churches that say, oh yeah, Jesus forgave you, but you're out on parole. You know? You can still love God, but there's a lot of things you can no longer do for God. In other words, uh, Christians who are divorced are 
you know, delegated to the position of a second-class Christian. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. When God forgives your sin, he forgives all your sin, past, present, and future. God does a lot more than just simply put us on parole. He gives us a complete, full pardon, a complete, full forgiveness. That's something very important for us to understand. And that's one of the big teachings here in the book of Romans. Now today we get into Romans chapter 10. And I want us to start actually by looking at the last few verses. The last uh, few verses, I believe, of chapter 8. Um, it says, uh, the last few verses of chapter 8, for example, in chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither principalities nor power, uh, let's see, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And uh, that is so important for us to think about. That in Christ we are more than conquerors. <laughs> And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Then we come over to chapter 10 and verse 1. And this is where our study for today officially begins. Um, he says... Um, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So, Paul says, my own desire, my own desire is that Israel might be saved. And this is very similar to what Paul said in chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also beareth me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish myself be accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So this underscores the great 
love that Paul had for Israel. Bearing in mind, even though he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, he was still himself a Jew. In fact, he was a leader of the Jews. Many believe that he was at one time a member of the Sanhedrin and even played a role, for example, in the death of Stephen. For example, Paul, heading up the Sanhedrin, would have had to have signed off, so to speak, on the death um, certificate for Stephen. In other words, uh, they wouldn't be able to stone Stephen to death without his approval. So Paul played a role in that. So he was definitely a leader among the Jews. Now bearing in mind when Paul persecuted for many years the Jews and had them put into prison and he had them uh, killed, he actually thought he was doing God's work. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing those who he felt disagreed with God. But he also points out how he did it ignorantly. And he says, my heart's desire is that Israel might be saved. Paul knew that the Israel of his day was not saved. And of course, the Israel of our day is not saved either. They don't have a national salvation. But you see, one day they will. This is why I believe, prophetically speaking, that God is not finished with Israel yet. You know, God says in the book of Genesis, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee. Any nation that turns against Israel can expect judgment from God. Let me say that again. Any nation that turns against Israel can expect judgment from God. They are God's special people. And even though they're not a godly Christian nation now, they one day will be. For example, there is evidence that during the tribulation period, they will come to know Christ as the Messiah, who they persecuted. I mean, uh, you think about it, there's a lot of bad things that can be said about the Jews. They had Christ crucified on the cross. They rejected Christ. They had the prophets killed. But yet they are people that God has made a covenant with. And you can rest assured that God will keep his promises to the nation of Israel. But Paul says, my heart's desire... A prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And by the way, that's a good attitude for you and I as Christians to have towards our enemies. I know that as Christians, we have enemies. We have people who, in spite of our best effort, they just don't like us. I know people I've done good things for, I've said nice things about, and they still hate me. Why? I don't know. I can't imagine why anybody would hate me. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But I know some people do. Now, what should be my reaction to that? Should I get even with them? No. 
Should I take revenge against them? No. The Bible says I am to love them, I am to forgive them, and I need to reach out to them and try to reach them for the Lord. Amen. That should be our reaction. Now, by the way, we're only going to hit the high spots of Romans chapters 10 and 11 today. So if you haven't read chapters 10 and 11 already for yourself, I hope that you will do that before today is out. There's a lot of good stuff here. And of course, for time's sake, we can't possibly cover all of it, but we will hit the high spots. For example, here in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if thou shalt confess thy, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now that's, that's how you're saved right there. You believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe. Now this is not just a head belief. This is a heart belief. Here the word belief means commitment, to cling to, to hold on to. We put our complete, absolute trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, if you get on an airplane, if you get on an airplane, you are expressing faith and confidence in the flight crew of that airplane. You are expecting you are expressing confidence in the manufacturer of that airplane. You believe that airplane was built by competent people who know what they're doing, and you believe that plane is being flown by pilots who know what they're doing. And if you weren't assured of that, you probably would be hesitant to get on the plane, and rightfully so. Now let's read on further. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. So what we see here is the fact that there is, spiritually speaking, no real difference between the Jew and the Greek. Now the Jew, I mean the Jews could take comfort in the fact that God first revealed himself to them. And then when they rejected God, God made himself known to the Gentiles. But it is the same God who loves and saves both Jew and Gentile alike. Amen. Verse 13, we read, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And once again, it's understood here that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to be saved because you sincerely mean it. If you don't sincerely mean it, then you're not going to be genuinely saved. 
You call upon the name of the Lord, and if you truly mean what you're saying, you're serious about what you're saying, God is going to save you. Now, what you don't find here is a necessity for keeping the law and cleaning up your act before you come to God. You know, a lot of times if I ask somebody if they're ready to become a Christian, they'll say, no, I'm not ready because my life hasn't been cleaned up yet. Well, guess what? I've got some good news for you. Your life doesn't have to get cleaned up in order for you to come to God. You come to God, He will save you, and then God will be living inside you, helping you to live for Him. Amen. You see, we don't clean up our lives in order to get saved. We clean up our lives because we are saved and we want to be everything we can be for God. You know? That's just the way it is. I mean, if you're a guy and you fall in love with a girl, guess what? You want to become everything you can be to that girl you love. You do special things for her. You open the door for her. You buy her flowers and candy. You take her out to nice restaurants. Now you don't do this hopefully to get her love, but you do this because you do love her. That's the way it is for us as Christians. We don't clean up our lives in order to be saved. We don't clean up our lives in order to go to heaven. We clean up our lives because we want to be all that we can be for God. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, he says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good news. In other words, it talks here about the importance of being used of God to tell others about God. You and I, as Christians, have a duty and a responsibility to tell others that we know about God. And every day when we get up, one of our prayers for that day ought to be, Lord, you lead me today who you want me to tell somebody about God. It might be your uh, shopping, for example, at the grocery store or down at the market. And you see somebody and you decide to reach out to them. You might start by just simply asking, hey, are you having a great day today? And then you can tell them, hey, let me tell you about someone who means so much to me. And if I tell you about him, I think he's going to mean a lot to you too. Then you simply tell them about what the Lord has done for you. And that what God has done for you, he will do for them. I tell you, down through the years... 
the most exciting worship services I've ever been in are worship services where people were free to stand up and share their testimony about how the Lord saved them. They were able to share with the congregation what the Lord had done in their lives that week. And you know, it's a shame we don't have that too much anymore. We don't have too many services anymore where Christians can stand up and give their testimony. I think we miss a great blessing by not doing that. Of course, I think we miss a great blessing by not having Sunday night and Wednesday night services. Unfortunately, in so many of our churches today, the only worship service they have is one on Sunday morning. And no services on Sunday night or Wednesday night. I tell you, folks, I think that's a serious mistake. I can tell you right now, if I ever pastor a church, and uh, I know that one time I was an interim pastor of a church, but any church I ever pastor, Sunday morning is not going to be the only service. We're going to worship God on Sunday night, and we're going to worship God at midweek. Amen. Now, when I was interim pastor of a church in Louisiana, I was a student at the time at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, the church that I pastored, they didn't have a midweek service on Wednesday night. They had a midweek service on Thursday night. Now, part of the reason for that is the fact that the previous pastor was also pastor of the First Baptist Church in Franklin. He did a midweek service at his own church on Wednesday night, and then on Thursday nights he would come over to the Mission Church and do a prayer meeting for them midweek. But I maintain that one service on Sunday morning alone is not enough. I mean, when you think about all the hours that you spend at work, when you think about all the hours that you spend in school or on the job, a one-hour service on Sunday morning just ain't going to get the job done. And I would suggest to you right now, if you're pastor of a church and Sunday morning is the only service you have, I suggest that you seriously, prayerfully consider having services on Sunday night and Wednesday night. You'll be amazed at the spiritual awakening that's going to take place in your church if you do. I challenge you. And then I want you to contact me and tell me about it. Because I think the results are going to be outstanding. Now we come over to take a look at the highlights of Romans chapter 11. Now in Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 1 we read, I say then, hath God turned away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What? You know not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I alone am left to seek my life. But what saith the answer of God to him? I have reserved 
unto myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, Paul has some interesting stuff to say here. You know, it's very easy for us as Christians to think the same way that Elijah the prophet thought. Lord, all the people have turned against you, except for me. But God said, no, I still have thousands who have not bowed their knee to the altar of Baal. They still love me, and they still worship me. So we need to know that in spite of how sinful the world is at the present time, and in spite of the fact that, um, you know, it seems that so many Christians have turned their backs on God, there are quite a few others that have not. God always talks about the remnant. For example, we know that the Hebrew people, they were taken away as captives to Babylon. But then God sent prophets to say that a remnant shall return. Now, to be sure, there were many that did not return. There are many who, unfortunately, turned away from God and never did return, but there was a remnant that did return. And yes, even in our day, we know that there are many who have turned against God. But there is also that remnant. I think one of the saddest things that I see as I look out over America today are churches, which at one time were filled to capacity, churches at one time that had hundreds and thousands of people, and now you have just a handful of people worshiping in those same churches. Most of the people who worshiped in that church at one time, they've either died off or they have gone into the ways of the world. But there is still that remnant left that remains faithful to the Lord. There's that remnant that remains faithful to the Lord. Now as we read on in the book of Romans chapter 11, we find that Paul talks about how the Gentiles were grafted onto the branch, which is Jesus. They were grafted onto the tree. And one of the things that made that possible is the fact that the Jews had rejected God. So God allows the Gentiles to be grafted on. Now, as you can imagine, the Gentile people of Paul's day, just as those of us in our day, we rejoice that we're now included in the good news of the gospel. 
But Paul also has a warning for the Hebrew people, or I should say a warning to the Gentile people. And the warning is this, you need to be careful because if God didn't hesitate to cut off his own chosen people, he's not going to hesitate to cut you off as well. Let's see what God more specifically has to say to the Gentiles. He says, uh, starting in verse 19, Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So that seems to be good news. Well, Paul says, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not his natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. In other words, <laughs> just as God cut off his own people for the time being, he will not hesitate to cut you off as well. Now, even though Israel was cut off, and the Bible talks about Israel at this point being temporarily blinded, we know that God is not finished with Israel, and we know that not only is God not finished with Israel, but they will come back to the Lord. This will happen during the great tribulation period following the rapture. They will be saved as a nation. They will turn to God. Now, of course, that doesn't exempt them from having to individually make that decision as well. And, of course, even in our modern day, even though this is the so-called day of the Gentiles, we know that Jewish people today are still getting saved. Back when I was a teenager, once again, we had a Jewish evangelist by the name of Eddie Lieberman, an outstanding man of God. And he was born in a traditional Orthodox Jewish family. And when he made a decision to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior, when he decided that Jesus was indeed and in fact the chosen, promised Messiah, then his family rejected him. They went so far as to have a funeral for him, and as far as they were concerned, he was dead. He didn't exist anymore. That was part of the price he had to pay for being a believer, being a Christian. Amen. So God's not finished with Israel yet. The time is coming when Israel will return back to the Lord. And by the time we get to the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, we will find, I believe, Jews and Gentile alike enjoying being able to live together for the Lord in the millennial kingdom. Amen.
Now, uh, in Romans chapter 10, or I should say Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, we read further where God says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Verse 34, for who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? We can't know the mind of God. <laughs> That's all part of the sovereignty of God. God is totally sovereign. God is free to do whatever he chooses to do. And whatever he chooses to do is automatically right. Because he is God. That's a very important thing for us to understand. And, and like I say, there are th some things in this life you and I will never understand. Why has God allowed certain things to happen? I, I know some Christians, for example, and, and some terrible things have happened to them. Some unbelievable misfortunes have happened to them. Why? I don't know. I believe one day we will know and one day we'll see what God had in mind when he allowed these certain things to happen. Now some things we can know about. I've shared before about the example of Johnny Erickson Tata and David Ring. God, in these two cases, chose not to heal them. Had he healed them, look at the great ministries they maybe never would have had. But there's other times when God allows misfortune become our way. He allows bad things to happen in our life and we have no explanation for it. I remember one time I got a text message from a listener who asked me that they said, Warren, I've lost my job. My house is being foreclosed on. My wife is about to leave me. And all I can think about is why is God allowing all this to happen? And I'll be honest with you, I didn't have a ready-made answer for him. Because you see, I don't completely know or understand the mind of God. I assured this person I would be praying for them. And I assured this person that God ultimately has a reason for everything that happens to us, even though we may not know it now and we may not know it in this lifetime. But I believe one day we'll understand. One day for sure when we get to heaven, we'll see things as God saw them now. And then we'll understand. Now, of course, know this, that when you go through something bad, it might be that God is preparing you for future ministry. Maybe you're going through a financial storm right now in your life, but one day you're going to be able to minister to other people who are going through a financial storm. Maybe right now you're going through a divorce, and everything seems so hopeless. But one day God may have a ministry for you where you are ministering to others who have been through a divorce. 
The storm you face today might be the ministry God is preparing you for, for tomorrow. Always keep that in mind. Amen. Now that brings us to an end of the highlights of Romans chapter 10 and 11. Now understand, of course, here I've just hit the highlights. And if you haven't read Romans 10 and 11 for yourself, I hope that you will go ahead and do so. Now in the next broadcast, we will get into Romans chapter 12. Once again, folks, there is some powerfully good stuff here. And I hope that you will take the time to read it. And I'll begin my commentary next time with Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Now, if you have a Bible study question, if you have a prayer request, maybe you want to share your testimony with me. Maybe you want to share with me what the ministry of Sunshine USA has done in your life. I'd love to hear about it. The best way to let me know about it is by email, and I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, if you want to contact me by snail mail, the old-fashioned way, you can do that too. My snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And like I say, I would just thoroughly enjoy hearing from you. Until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I will see you next time on Sunshine USA.